Hi, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast, show where we watch movies and, well, more movies. I'm D-Man, joined by CP. But CP, here's the thing about this week's episode. We're going to do something a little bit different in terms of what we're going to talk about as our main topic. So I, I think our... <laughs> Our catchphrase there kind of applies this week, but maybe not so much. How are you doing? (laughs) Good, man. How are you? Well, I'm excited because I think we're going to have a pretty spirited conversation, but it isn't about a movie specifically. So it's a little bit, we're switching it up, but I've said this many times, you know, it's our podcast. So we're going to talk about what interests us and this caught my interest. So I'm excited to get into that. But like on all of our episodes, I do want to start off at the top with some shout outs. First up goes to Jasmine Nunez, who quoted you, CP, that said, and she just said, I have a hair, LOL. So that's from two weeks ago on the Rings of Power finale episode. So thank you. I, uh, I'm i pretty sure I laughed pretty hard in episode at that, and I'm laughing again now. So next up is uh, Giraffes65, who is actually Ivor. Thank you for the comments. He actually said, have you heard the theory that Jar Jar was supposed to be a Sith, but the character got no love, so Lucas changed his mind? To that, I do say I have heard that theory, or at least I've heard the theory that Jar Jar was the puppeteer, the Palpatine in the shadows and that Jar Jar was the one orchestrated the fall of the Republic. To that theory, I don't know. What should, what are your thoughts, CP? Uh, I actually love that theory. There's that video that goes through and details every instance of Jar Jar, proof that he's a Sith Lord. And my favorite is the first thing when that when he does like he jumps super high and does that flip into the water on Naboo. And they're like, oh yeah, that's clearly force jump. <laughs> when they're going to Gunga City. So he goes, uh he goes, I agree about the character flip. Jar Jar may have gone down as one of the best characters, in my opinion. It's actually funny because obviously Jar Jar's legacy precedes him and he went down as one of the worst, if not the worst Star Wars character in canon. It is interesting, though, how if you were to just totally flip that character, he could have had one of the most amazing arcs. Like imagine seeing Phantom Menace. You see Jar Jar, he's like his face stuck between lasers and he's grabbing things with his tongue only to end up the person that destroys the galaxy. That'd be quite a twist. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but hasn't Lucas Lucas (laughs) gone on record saying that Jar Jar is in fact his favorite character? Yeah, I guess, you know, Lucas has said a few things about Jar Jar and I think he defends him vigorously because I think he was proud of the character that was created, although he does clearly phase him out over the entire prequel trilogy. And of course, I know he was created in the 90s, but there is no mention of him, even with Lucas's constant additions to the original trilogy. So he never pops up there. But, you know, (laughs) Hayden Christensen pops up there. So, you know, he could have, but he didn't do it. As to whether it's truly his favorite character, I know he may just be defending him. But I know he also said that he wrote Jar Jar for a younger audience and that he did find the younger audience was really receptive to the character. It was a bunch of original trilogy adults who... (laughs) (laughs) just hated him kind of funny next up on our shout outs is perspective says i still believe the original big bad for the prequels was supposed to be jar jar dark jar jar (laughs) i guess the people love it (laughs) but the production team was scared off by the backlash of the first film so they shoehorned dooku in as the substitute villain i cannot verify that i do not know if that is true but if it is it would be 
quite a fascinating writer's room debate right there. <laughs> well, especially since Dooku is such a weak Sith Lord and character. It's interesting. That's for sure. Well, we brought this up as our inspiration last week, and I, I still haven't gotten around to seeing all the episodes, but there is actually an episode in the new Tales of the Jedi that really gives Dooku the correct character arc to make him work within the context that he was brought into the prequels. There's a quick mention that Qui-Gon was his Padawan. Yeah. Yeah. And that he became disillusioned, but that's about the extent of his character background. We really don't get a lot about him. And we just know that he's an old Sith that came about after Darth Maul died. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Sith can only, there can only be two. That's what Mm -hmm. they said. You know, hard to say. Last up for shoutouts is the real James Holden. He said, hot take, what do you think is the best of the three prequel Star Wars films? I actually answered this on social media. So if you guys uh, are tweeting at me, if you're leaving comments, if you tag me, I do respond. Absolutely. 100%. So <laughs> thank you for everybody that tagged me this week. I, you know, I love Star Wars. and I always, I think I, I wrote like a massive block of text. Yeah, my favorite is Revenge of Sith. CP, I think I know what yours is. And what's mine? I would guess it's the Phantom Menace. No, nah, it's actually Revenge of the Sith too. Okay, it go. Mine goes Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace, Attack of yep. the Clones. I I don't know anybody who's actually said Attack of the Clones was their favorite. It has a couple things in it that I kind of liked. For some reason, I really liked the scene when he goes to Dax's diner. It just it made Coruscant feel like real. I don't know. That was the one thing I really liked about Attack of the Clones is like they end up going to that bar and he's like, "You don't want to mm-hmm. sell death sticks." I think. They, yeah, they like go to a bar. They're kind of running on the streets. He goes to Dax's diner. There's the library. That was the one thing I liked about it because in the in the other two movies, Coruscant is this big intimidating city, but for the most part- They don't actually you know, interact in it. Not yeah. in the actual city itself. They're doing yeah. political things or they're in Palpatine's quarters or whatever. It, they just never go to like street level. And so that I kind of liked in Attack of the Clones. That was cool. Mm-hmm. The Django fight scene with Obi-Wan was pretty dope too. Pretty cool. Pretty sweet. I love that movie. Well, that does it for my shout outs. Did you have any on this episode, CP? I have none. Well, then it's time to get into our topic. So I hope all of our listeners are ready because this week, Netflix officially added to their pricing tier an ad-based option, which is wild when you consider that the CEO has said many times Netflix will never have ads, but apparently it has come to this. They are showing ads. I don't know. I want to throw it over to you for your first impressions. I mean, what do you think about Netflix adding ads? It's, uh, <sighs> it's jarring to say the least. So much. I mean, first things first. Wasn't the whole reason why we loved Netflix in the beginning was because we got away from those pesky ads to begin with. Yeah. You know, I think it was kind of part of the promise of, of cord cutting or streaming was that there was a new way you could do things. So in my opinion, those things are A, all the content is on demand, meaning you can pick what you want to watch when you want to watch it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That actually hasn't gone away. That is, in a nutshell, what streaming is versus what cable and TV was back in the day, which was you had to watch what was on when you're there. And if you wanted to watch something specific, you had to plan for that time slot and either record it or you had to be there. You know, if your show drops at 8 p.m. and you want to watch the newest episode, of friends you got to watch it at 8 p.m on that day yeah the second thing is no ads it presented a way for you to pay for a service and get content without ads 
The reason I bring this up is because it's kind of the way the internet is operated in general, but there's always been this assumption things that are ad supported are typically free on the internet. Yeah. If you're going to be served ads, things tend to be free. Perfect example is YouTube. It's like, yes, we all have YouTube. We can all access YouTube, watch whatever we want, but there are ads. It's a trade-off. And they also went ahead and included that great little skip button. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and I think that goes back to web 1.0, right? Where all these websites were popping up and the advertisers are what was keeping the lights on in the early days of the internet. It's just sort of evolved. And I think we've come to expect that we either pay for content directly or the advertisers pay for content. Exactly. Finally, the last thing was that by simply instituting all this new technology that streaming and our devices have brought about was that you could actually release content in new and unique ways. Perfect example is Netflix totally abandoned the idea that you release a show one new episode per week until they're all released. Netflix went ahead and said, we're going to drop the whole damn season. It's streaming. So you pick what you want to watch when you want to watch it. And you can mm -hmm. watch the whole thing. You can watch it one episode a night, one episode a week, whatever suits you, right? Yeah. The technology of something like YouTube opens up opportunities to connect with creators that television, even to this day, things that are put in theaters and on TV, sure, we can follow celebrities and actors and directors and everybody. But the interaction you get between the platform on something like YouTube is incredible. So that, yeah. that technology opens up new ways to do things. I don't know. It just, it's so weird to me that Netflix has ads. And I actually went to their website and verified this, that the tier is live as of this week. So I did not, however, make a new account and purchase the ad account to test it out. So sorry to our listeners, but if that's you, you know, I already have an account with no ads. So I was like, ah, what's the point? I know how it's going to work. It's weird though, because essentially the ad supported tier, it's basically like, this is what I used to pay for at this price with no ads. And now there's just ads. And it really upsets me. <laughs> I think it does because it feels like everything that we loved about Netflix is now really up in smokes. Is it even worth keeping a Netflix subscription these days? Okay, so there's a few things that go into that, which is other streaming services have actually gone backwards to the model of releasing new content weekly. So for their series and almost every other streaming service besides Netflix does this. I'm assuming Netflix will. They've already inched toward it with releases like Ozark, the final season and Stranger Things season four, where for whatever reason, they said they weren't done yet, but they could not release the final two episodes or part two of the season. So they've already mm -hmm started to stagger a little bit. But the other thing too is with Netflix, you have to accept the fact that they don't have the best content anymore. There's so many competitor streaming services. In my opinion, a lot of the content that I used to watch on Netflix is somewhere else. And I have that streaming service now too. I mean, it's really funny, right? Because in this last year, Netflix has, has come out with all the reasons as to why there's a drop off in subscribers. And I think what you're hitting at is one of the biggest ones. And it's actually one of the things that they've kind of dismissed on their own, right? Obviously, inflation is on the rise. It comes on the heel of everyone went out of their way during the pandemic, maximum their screaming capacity when they were <laughs> yeah. sitting at home and had nothing to do but watch content. Now they're forced with the decision of which ones do we actually want to keep. Netflix was born in an era where they were the original streaming service. Since then, we have tons and tons of other streaming options available. Does it even warrant you really investing in Netflix anymore? 
Aside from that, the original Netflix business model was really this growth model of with Netflix as the first mover, let's get everyone to subscribe to Netflix. At some point, that's going to top out. You are going to reach market saturation. It's just not really practical to think you can sustain that sort of growth indefinitely. This also, I think, kind of bugged you a little bit when I was talking to you in pre-production. You know, one of the things Netflix did to spur that growth was, I'm not going to say they ever said outright or had an advertising campaign that really encouraged it, but they certainly didn't discourage it. I'm pretty sure they were fine with it, which is count sharing. So on that note, I actually did a little bit of digging. Netflix never outright said, hey, share your passwords. But on March 10th, 2017, five years ago, on Twitter, Netflix said, promoting their new series, Love, they tweeted, Love is sharing a password. Interesting. So I would were, say that they know, were pretty much uh, encouraging us to share our passwords at that time. I get it. When you're back in the day, you're the premier streaming service. You're trying to grow. Why not be like, hey, share your account, get as many people or as many devices connected to Netflix as possible. People are there watching. They like the product. And the idea is hopefully eventually when they get a new device and they forgot the old password or you know they move or whatever, they'll get an account themselves, which which I don't know what percentage of those people ended up being converts. The point is that people were watching Netflix, which is more mm -hmm. important, I think. And it worked. Netflix did end up on almost every device. Like, I think they have something like 200 million subscribers or, you know, a lot. Like a lot. But yeah, that's I a, know it still has, they still how have many American subscribers. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, there's like 332 million Americans. I don't know why mm -hmm. I picked that number. I hope it's accurate. Like in Netflix an article has a couple hundred. I saw, let me flip back to it. I saw that they had about 220 million subscribers. Still the largest amount, hands down. It's not even close. I mean, they've, they've been around the longest and they've done their best. I guess the context for this whole conversation is that last quarter, Netflix was losing subscribers for the first time in like a decade. They had to figure out ways to combat that because apparently, and this is just my opinion, but apparently their business model is simply subscriber growth and then investment to invest in that subscriber growth. Like, does Netflix even actually have like a viable business plan? Like, let's just say they couldn't get one more subscriber. Can they turn a profit? I don't know, because the weird thing about Netflix is... They are fundamentally a technology company and not a content company. And, and that has never been so clear as the last two years when the absence of, of content on Netflix coincides with a drop in subscriber base. And you were talking about this earlier in the, in the you know, a couple of minutes ago. The problem is this, when Netflix was a content warehouse, when it was the virtual blockbuster that you could go into and watch anything and everything that had ever been made for the most part, yeah, Netflix was fantastic. Fantastic. But as soon as all these other companies came around and said, you know what, we want our own little piece of this pie, we are going to take our library and lock it up. And if you want it, you have to come to us and get it. Yeah, of course, people started leaving because Netflix yeah. never had the legacy original content that Warner Brothers and Disney and all the well, other studios did. And the thing too is that I think at the end of the day, I think Netflix, their technology, their platform is amazing. It's incredible the boundaries they pushed over the last decade or so. At the end of the day, whoever owns the IP 
wins. You look at these other streaming services, right? You look at Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime is backed by Amazon. Like Prime Video doesn't have to turn a profit. That's like something, that's like a bonus thing they do for Prime customers. You look at Apple TV Plus and all the content they're putting out. I mean, Apple is not a content producer in the sense that they're a studio. They just went out and hired the best people. <laughs> yeah. They didn't they didn't yeah. nurture talent in-house. They just basically were like, here's a bunch of money. Now go make some awesome shit. <laughs> they don't need it to turn a profit because Apple is like, that is an ancillary service that we offer to all of our, all the people who are our customers, right? Yeah. And then lastly, you have Disney, a multinational conglomerate. But in essence, everything that's on Disney Plus, they basically own it. They don't pay any royalties or licensing fees for any of the content on Disney Plus. That's all Disney content. Mm -hmm. So the only cost associated with Disney Plus is just running the actual streaming service. And when you look at Disney as a conglomerate, their film studio is like third or fourth in what makes them money. It's like, mm -hmm. I think it's like theme parks, hotels ships. and resorts, yeah. cruise yeah. ships, merchandise, <laughs> and then movies and, and all that. Yeah. It's freaking crazy. Now, I, I have to give Disney credit. They got Disney Plus just, they got it out just in time for the pandemic. You know, obviously no one knew that was coming. Point is, they got it out just in time by a stroke of luck. You know, they were able to pick up a bunch of subscribers during that time. Netflix has this problem where they have to pay to compete with the likes of Apple and Amazon, and they have to pay a crap load of money to produce their own content while they also don't have any legacy content. Things like you said, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Peacock, Disney, they all have all this legacy content, whether it's sitcoms or Star Wars or Disney animated features, yeah. whatever it is, have that. And Netflix just doesn't. Like, I can only speak for myself, but I used to open Netflix every day. I used to watch Netflix all the time. They used to have Parks and Recreation and The Office and Friends and Marvel movies and Marvel shows. And like, that's all gone now, left for other streaming services. So I can only speak for myself. I don't open Netflix every day anymore. To that end, how long is it until I don't really open it and decide I don't really need it? The moment that Netflix, in my mind, brought this upon themselves was the moment they moved moved from the content distribution business the to warehouse. the content creation business. They got a little too greedy and they thought, you know what? We have this money. We could make more money. We could pull in more subscribers if we give them content that is exclusive to Netflix. From a business standpoint, yeah, it's pretty smart. Except for the fact that, you know, you kind of awoke the sleeping giants that were Disney, Universal, Warner Brothers who were sitting there saying, wait a second. So now you are directly competing with us on the point of creating content Content, and you are still making money off of our content that we're renting to you to use on your platform. Screw that. And that's when all of a sudden we started seeing all these major studios pulling their legacy content from Netflix. And it was kind of downhill from there. And Netflix, to their credit, a lot of their originals have done well. House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, Stranger Things. There's a lot of movies that have come out. Marriage Story, Squid Game was a show that was, I think, maybe their most watch show ever you know it's pretty crazy that you know netflix has had a cultural impact tiger king making a murderer there's like all these things you know they've done well in the content business it's it's to me it, it's more at what point do people re-watch those 
because that's when I say legacy mm. content, I'm talking about content that people are like, oh, I want to watch a movie. Like, let's go find something that we've probably all seen. I want to watch Star Wars. What do they have there that people are like, yeah, let's rewatch it. I rewatch Stranger Things. And I know they have a couple holiday movies and some things like that. But I, I'd say my rewatching numbers probably almost exclusively go to sitcoms. Like, I watch a lot of sitcoms. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Netflix never invested mm. in that that kind of vertical uh, of content the idea that now a lot of the things that made netflix netflix meaning like hey we we want to revolutionize how you consume media but we're going to start showing ads we're probably going to start staggering content releases don't really allow password sharing anymore as of 2023 they are not going to allow it anymore <laughs> it's weird because first of all it feels a lot more like tv than i think it is revolutionary it's just you know obviously it's content on demand which is mm -hmm. great but it feels a lot more like tv these days than the future yeah, it's just weird because it seems like a lot of what they're doing is just trying to counter, the you know, a, a fall off. Yeah, a fall off in subscribers. I don't know. At a certain point, like these solutions will exhaust themselves. So like, it just makes me wonder, like, can Netflix really do this forever? Like eventually you'll only get so many people that are going to go to the ad tier. So you're like, what do you do? Because they sound desperate. The thing I hate about the ad tier on Netflix is like, oh my God, I hate ads. I will be very clear. I get Ooh, can we just clarify though? I love ads. I work in marketing and advertising. Ads, I love to see what works, what doesn't. I it's hate ads and I hate people that make ads. <laughs> At least on YouTube, you acknowledge, you're like, I'm not paying for this. So I will sit here and 80% of the ads on YouTube, you can skip after four seconds. So you get really, really angry, but then it's done. You hit the skip button, you get to the video you want to see. The thing that sucks about Netflix is it actually doesn't allow you to do the one redeeming quality about television ads, which is on television, you can either DVR past them, or you can just outright flip the channel back to ESPN and watch SportsCenter for two minutes and then come back and you're back to your show. Yeah. On Netflix, you actually have to, you're actually going to have to watch the ad. What's more annoying than that? I have to agree with you. And I don't know if you heard this, but the ad platform that they're running, first of all, they're not splitting any of the ad revenue with creators that produce their original content, apparently. Just FYI, that's kind of crazy. Okay, so it's much more a traditional television model. They keep all the ad revenue. Second of all, they are introducing mid-roll ads. Be it shows, be it movies, they will be interrupted with ads. And Netflix said that they're being thoughtful about where they're placing those. But to that end, especially for content that's already been created on Netflix, you, you think about a writer's room for a sitcom, right? You know that at like a certain time limit, you kind of build in a break for a commercial break. Like a lot of this content was not created with any ads running in the middle of it at all it reminds me of like george lucas and not wanting people to like mess with his vision you know they don't, he, he always gets so upset that like the producers at the studio that he's like they cut five minutes and he gets all pissed off the point is that a lot of these people made this content with no with the intention of there never being any ads in it from a creative standpoint i could see why that would be upsetting because you're like you're taking away from the tension of the movie or whatever and i get it movies that never had commercials in the middle of them have run on tv forever and it's fine you know people were paid a lot of money and they had a vision and, and it's a little upsetting that that's how it's going to be now, the other thing that I think is missing from this equation too, and I saw some numbers that I pulled up there from a couple months ago, so they might be off. Do you think it is also worth noting 
The other reason why people are leaving Netflix is Netflix is still the most ex expensive streaming service available. Yeah. Ad tier will lower it and make it more accessible to more people, I suppose. But the point is, I mean, HBO Max ad free was like a $15 plan. Apple Plus was like a $5 plan. Disney Plus is like $8 a month. Hulu was like 12. Yeah, and you can bundle those too now. And I think, I think, I don't remember for sure, but I think that ad-free Peacock is somewhere like $8 a month. And, and then when you consider Prime, which is like, what, 135 a year, but you also get the advantage of, <laughs> the benefits Prime, of all shipping. Prime Yeah, Yeah, all the stuff that comes with Prime. And I mean, still, that's breaking it down to like $13, $12 a month. You are still paying the most for your Netflix subscription. And over the last five years, you are getting less and less and less of what you originally bought Netflix for. The way I look at it is the problem with this model is if you're driving people away, even if the ad tier initially brings more subscribers in, I mean, eventually you're going to run into the problem of if you're not spending tons of money, either creating an insane amount of new content or absolutely top tier, the best content you can watch, you have to spend that money to go get content from other places. The problem is, is that you don't even, there's nothing to even bid on anymore. Almost all the content is claimed at this point on other streaming services. I think Netflix, if they're not careful, they run the risk of kind of becoming the bargain bin of streaming services. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a good example. They can still spend a lot of money and they can produce seriously top tier content, but consumers are going to have to decide like if we just rip off streaming service names, right? We're like Netflix, Hulu, ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Peacock, Paramount Plus, Prime, I mean Showtime, whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. If, if like once you're paying for all those and you just said they're all basically within the range of like eight to ten dollars, you know, you're basically paying for cable. If the ad tier is like $6.99 and the paid tier is like $12.99. So you're basically going to save like six bucks. I don't know. I don't know if that's enough. When you're really thinking about the bargain bit of content, there already are free ad supported streaming services out there. Pluto TV, Roku. And when you think about those things, you're like, well, actually, in some ways, they have a decent amount of content. The trade-off is you do just sit through ads, but otherwise it's free. Why would you pay for an ad tier for some of these services. And I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Like obviously Discovery Plus, HBO, Max, Peacock, Hulu, all are in agreement with Netflix and believing that there is a ad supported tier that they offer. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, maybe, you know, people are fine with the ads. You know, we've all grown up watching commercials and ads basically everywhere. I forget what the percentage or the uh, number of, I think there's like a crazy statistic that says like each person in America every day sees X amount of adverts, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's mm -hmm. billboards, bench signs, phone ads, television, you know, whatever it is. We see like, a ton of them, which is wild. You know, maybe people are fine with it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe, you know, Netflix probably has spent a lot of money on focus groups and, and trying to find out if people would be open to this concept. If we were to knock the price all the way down here, would you be interested in getting it then? So we'll see. And we'll see how many people, you know, I, I'm interested too to see more than that. How many people go down? Yeah, yeah downgrade to the ad supported plan. Yeah, or is there a lot of people that are paying whatever Netflix is now, like $15 a month that are like, oh, if it's $6.99 or whatever it is, $9.99, maybe you're saving five to seven bucks. Is it worth it to go back down or would you prefer to keep it? Because I think that says a lot too. Or are you just going to cancel your Netflix outright? 
I mean, that's yeah, the other so, piece of this. Like, is this a futile effort? If Netflix actually wants subscribers, do they need to do a better job of making content to bring subscribers back? Again, I, I don't honestly know to what degree they have a profitable business model, you know? Yeah. I would like to think if everybody's paying them 10 bucks a month that this whole thing could be profitable, but I know they spend like crazy amounts of money. Well, anyway, they, they would know better than I would. <laughs> I just, I think to me, the idea of still paying for a subscription and seeing ads, you know, even though I think we all do it on some streaming service somewhere, it was always like Netflix was like that gold standard of like, they'll never have ads. That mm. was the one, it was like, hey, no matter what, Hulu might have ads, Peacock might have ads, but if you're on Netflix, there's no ads. Those days are gone, you know? These streaming services are competing and they're going to want to return an investment. They may chip away at that model eventually and be like, hey, the ad supported tiers do really well. We're just going to add ads in all of our tiers. Mm -hmm. Because if they all start to do that, why not? Because there's so much money to be made rather yeah. than just staying put. So I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we'll live in an ad dominated streaming world soon. Dude, might have to go back to cable. <laughs> but I'm rooting for Netflix, man. I want to see Netflix. I want to see them be successful. They were the revolutionaries. They were were the rebels they shook it all up i've had netflix for i don't even know how years they've taken not taken but i've paid them a lot of money <laughs> for that service and i've you know loved most of it so i'm rooting for netflix i don't want to see them fail guess i just you know kind of hate to see them so desperate a little bit it's a little off-putting because they were always the front runner and it seems like they're they're sliding backwards a little bit. They were innovators. It seemed like they always had some new thing, you know, pushing the boundaries forward. And that was why people kept going to Netflix. And obviously they benefited from being, uh, you know, first. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they picked up a lot of ground that way. But I mean, it just always felt like they were pushing forward. And now it feels like they're going backwards. I'm going to throw it to our listeners. You know, hey, what do you guys think? Would you be open to an ad supported Netflix tier? Do you have any ad supported streaming services now? And does it upset you? Or are you totally fine with it? And you don't even care? Let me ask you, CP, because I can answer this. Do you have any ad supported streaming services that um, you pay for? Not YouTube. I guess the answer is no. All the platforms that I pay for, Hulu, HBO, Paramount, Flix, those are all ad-free tiers. The only one I have that is the ad-based tier is I have the most basic version of Peacock, which when they launched Peacock, right, there's like the ad-supported model, the hybrid model, and then the totally ad-free one. Initially in that first year, there was a lot of content you could get on Peacock with the ads. Um, For free, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over the last year and a half, they've moved it away and it's pretty much totally a worthless streaming service that I don't even bother watching anymore because it's a couple of obscure films and that's really it. Everything else is is locked behind the paywall and they want you to move up to a higher plan. Yeah, I remember watch. when they launched, I think it was shows, but at the free level, you could at least get, it was seasons of shows. It might oh, be the first you, two or three of maybe a seven season long show. They had the entire series of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, like they had a lot of content that was ad supported, but clearly, you know, for myself, I said I would let you guys know where I stand. I do pay for in the Disney bundle. I get Hulu with ads and I do watch Hulu. I watch Modern Family and sitcoms on Hulu. <laughs> I did check out that show, Welcome to Wrexham. That was a cool show. But I, yeah, mostly sitcoms. I watch Always Sunny, Modern Family, things like that. And then I do pay for the ad supported version of Peacock. Which has actually been fascinating because this is like a tangent. I didn't know this, but one of the reasons I decided to pay for it was, did you know that Peacock is the home of WWE? Uh, no, but I did know it is the home for Notre Dame football. 
I'm watching Notre Dame no matter what. But <laughs> WWE, I haven't revisited wrestling in a long time. I'm really kind of back into it because I got Peacock and it has all the legacy content for WWE or back so then it was all WWF. The, all the Attitude Era stuff that you used to watch oh, as a kid is on there? All the 80s. Oh, you can go all the way back. They might even have 70s stuff. You can watch the first episode of Raw. You can watch the newest episode of Raw. That's it's wild. Cool. I mean, I've kind of gone back and I'm like actually watching like Does the Julian Attitude come over Era. And do you guys watch wrestling together? No, I'm going to tell him though because I think he has it. Like I'm literally watching. It's this pay-per-view and then I'll watch like the Raws in between and then it's like the next pay-per-view. I'm like, oh my God, this is like a great drama <laughs> it's kind of neat and then those all those shows you know i watch the office parks and rec and all that and then raw in particular but like all of those they have breaks for ads built mm-hmm. right in yeah you know so it's not it doesn't feel weird i guess when i do it i do already do that so i'm not here to just like shit on everything i hope the best for netflix and hopefully maybe we all just gotta adjust to some ads in our lives But on that note, to close this episode out, I actually wanted to do a list this week of our uh, top three Netflix originals. (laughs) (laughs) So I did mention some of them, you know, House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, Making a Murderer, Squid Game, Tiger King, Stranger Things, so many. We're doing series and movies, just your favorite pieces of content. If you're cool with it, I'll go first. Do it. Number three. Number three on my list is the, uh, it's like, it's a holiday movie, but I think it's just so well done. It's an endearing story and I love the animation, but it's a film called Klaus. So I I don't know if you've seen it. I think it's got like David Spade as like a postman or something. Yeah, he's a postman that goes up and he ends up meeting this guy, Klaus, and they end up delivering toys to like this town up in the mountain. And I don't know, it's very, it's a great story. There's a little bit of humor in it. And you now watch it every Christmas. I do watch it every Christmas. Well, I mean, since I started, which I think was last year, so... (laughs) You know, I'll watch it this year. I actually really like that. I got to give a shout out to uh, my old coworker, Israel. He was the one who recommended that to me and I checked it out. Thank you, man. I I found a movie that I really enjoy. Next (laughs) up on mine, number two is going to be The Irishman. Now, I know this movie gets a lot of crap because it's not Scorsese. It's not considered Scorsese's best work. And that is a high ball. Fair enough. It may not be his best work, but even as uh, a Netflix original movie, it's still a Scorsese movie. And I actually really enjoyed The Irishman. It's a bit of a slow burn compared to things like Goodfellas and Wolf of Wall Street. But in a weird way, I think it kind of works. There's a, a real good theme that runs throughout the movie about they do all these gangsters do all of this stuff that in the moment it feels like your whole world is collapsing. And then at the end, you're just an old man sitting in a nursing home and you're like, does anybody even know about it? Mm-hmm. So that's a crazy theme. You know, you think about like, I murdered a guy 50 years from now, no one cares. No one gives a shit. The only reason <laughs> the guys even come is just because they wanted to arrest him. They really don't even care who mm-hmm. did it. They just want to get this guy so (laughs) when i say that they i mean like the fbi but (laughs) anyway yeah i love that i I think the movie has a good theme i thought it was really well acted there is you know i don't know how well it will age but their de-aging technology would look pretty good for the time you know we got a glimpse back into you know probably the uh, early 90s 80s of robert de niro yeah. So, and the number one I kind of pointed out earlier is Stranger Things. So that is actually one of the Netflix original series that I've rewatched the most. I think season one for me is an absolute gold standard. Two and three are seasons that I think if you're a fan of the characters, it's fun to hang out with them and it has a real kind of monster of the week flavor. Mm-hmm. What are they doing this, you know, through this one? And then season four just brings it all home. I mean, they, they went 
you know, full circle. They started completing arcs that were opened in season one and answering questions that people have had since the show aired. And and mm-hmm. now I think so psyched for the conclusion. Like, I can't wait. I'm going to go with number three for me is the series Shadow and Bone. I have not seen that one. A friend of mine recommended reading the book series. I did. And then she recommended that I watch the series. And I did. Uh, shout out to Caroline. Thank you for the recommendation. I thought it was good. I thought it was interesting. It's kind of like one of those fantasy series. I don't know if they're going to do any more seasons of it, but the one season was interesting. Number two for me, I'm actually going to agree with your number one choice, which is Stranger Things, because they really caught lightning in a bottle with that show. It was a cultural phenomenon, and no matter how many times you rewatch it, it still is really, really well made. Oh, I mean, the strongest point in the series is the casting and the characters, hands down. Mm -hmm. They created some really, really memorable characters who you can get behind and root for. That is the show's absolute strongest attribute. They also do something amazing in Stranger Things, which is they embrace the nostalgia without really falling into the trap of nostalgia. So many other things don't walk the line that they do. Yeah, I mean, other things, they use it in a kind of shameless manner to just appeal to that. And here it's like built right into the story. It's usually not done with like a wink or anything. It's like, no, it's this is a part of the story, right? Like they introduce in the third season a mall. Well, malls were a big part of that era and here they introduce it, but they don't just have the kids go to the mall. It becomes a big part of the story yeah, yep. and they build it right in. It's just, it's really well done. I love yeah. it. That's a, such a great point. And the number one for me is, which I'm sure you've seen, is actually the series, the movies that made us because. Oh yeah, I love that. It's series. about all my favorite movies and all the behind the scenes, crazy stories that you hear about all these movies from the VHS era, really. I just think it's a great series. So if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. And if you have watched it, you should watch it again because it's pretty amazing. It's actually a really cool series. It's very funny. The Whoever's the uh, narrator is actually yeah. really good. They do a fairly decent job at getting people for interviews, yeah. although they don't always get the top tier Like the major uh, directors people. or whoever, but yeah. Yeah, they don't always get them, but they do get people who were a part of the production, a part of the writing, that some of the actors, some of that stuff. So they do a really good job, and they, they do pick some of, it's the movies that made us. Jurassic and then, Park, Robocop, yeah. Yeah, and then there is also the uh, kind of companion series, if you're into this, but it's called The Toys That Made Us. Mm-hmm. That's also a really great series. It's made almost identical just about a different topic. I totally agree with you. That's a great thing too. Again, audience, let us know. What do you love about Netflix? And I mean, if you want to, tell us what you what series you hate on Netflix. I mean, that's always fun. Go ahead and uh, shoot us a comment. Like I said, we'll definitely respond and we'll, you know, maybe even make the uh, shout outs at the beginning of the show. But we thank you all for tuning in and listening. Hope you enjoyed the show this week. Be sure to uh, follow the podcast. You can go to filmmakerscompass.com where we have all of our social media and subscription links. You can follow me at Big Kid D-Man and you can follow CP at NDCal5. Thanks for checking out the show. Come back next week. And until then, keep watching movies.